Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Failing Forward with Nikki Loesch. I have an incredible guest for you today, Dr. Janie Lacey. She is a master in her field in working with women, with adolescents, with families, with marriages, and helping them overcome trauma, helping them overcome conflict resolution, anger, and really finding that joy and that place of unity. So we're going to really dive into her story, which when I started to really dig deep and learn more about her, I literally cried when I found out the things that she had to go through to step into where she is today. So we're going to go ahead and highlight that story. And then we're going to give you some actionable tips on things that you can start doing today to have better quality relationships, to have better communication, and also to manage some toxic emotions like anger. So we, we really want to pour back, but let's go to highlight this special lady, Dr. Janie Lacey. She is a licensed relationship trauma psychotherapist who has over 15 years of ex experience in the field of relationship trauma. She is also a faculty member with the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals and an entrepreneur who took her counseling business from a solo practice to a group specialty practice. Dr. Janie helps women overcome toxic relationships. She is the creator of Women Redeemed, an intensive experiential group experience that uses proven therapy strategies to start women on their healing journey. Dr. Janie, welcome to Failing Forward. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to have this conversation with you because healing is so important to everyone's life. I couldn't agree with you more. I think a lot of us fall into the category of just doing, 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 running, 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 going, going, going. And a lot of us are wondering why we are not feeling our best from the inside out, but we never take the time to push pause and to just sit in that, in that hurt and that suck and work our way through it. It's like we're running away from everything. Would you agree? No, I think what happens, Niku, is that a lot of us, I know for me personally, we weren't taught to feel. <laughs> you know, and I think back to my childhood and, you know, love my parents, but the story is what it is, is that, you know, my dad had, a, he was, a, he was a, an alcoholic and my mom was raised by not her mother, right? So they, they've brought trauma when they had children. So when I look back, we weren't taught to feel our feelings. You know, as children were seen um, and not heard, right? And, and that sent a lot of messaging to us, in particular to my sisters, but I can only speak for myself in the sense that, and then you find yourself, let's say at 23, 25, and you're starting to navigate this world and you don't even know who you are. You don't even know what you're feeling, right? And then you're trying to navigate relationships and you don't know what you're reacting to. So many times what I find a lot of women and men, everyone, that if we don't have that template, right? I know for me, I didn't. They didn't tell me that my feelings were normal. It was okay. It was a uh, don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. And then we try to enter relationship with girlfriends or with men and these types of things. And we don't even know who we are. And it just makes a mess. <laughs> it really makes a mess. We want people to understand who we are, what we're feeling, and in particular, what I see in romantic relationships, and I include myself, especially in those early years, it's like you expect someone to just know how to feel and how to be there for you when you don't even know it yourself. A hundred percent. And I could, I could think back to when I first married my husband, right? I was like, why do you not understand like what I need? Like what my love language is? Like, I don't need you doing things for me. I just want you to like, hold me. I just want you to like, put the phone away, spend some quality time uninterrupted, take me on a date. Like, I want you to still date me. Those are the things that I loved about our relationship before we got married that it's like, now we're married. You don't have to court the person. No. Right. But how does he know that if I don't express and convey to him the things that we did that strengthened our relationship that led to a marriage, right? 
But I think a lot of us, it's like you said, we have a lack of awareness of ourselves. And the so other how do you help bridge the gap? The other thing I find, you know, especially using your example, sometimes women, you know, let's talk about women because I work probably about 80% with women, is that women don't ask for what they want in relationship or even in business or in life because subconsciously, sometimes we don't think we deserve it. Right. So I know when in my family of origin, just growing up into a place of just feeling not good enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough, not enough, we can fill in the blank. And then you find yourself, whether it's in business or a relationship, is that you do think, well, people should just know, but then subconsciously, it's you really don't think you deserve it. Yeah, <laughs> so then we can sabotage we can sabotage things where people are really trying to be there for us or compliment us. And we just sabotage, you know, it's what we call distancing strategies. We push people away and we want them to chase us. And I know women, we've all been there where we just, you know, from a romantic relationship, we'll push a guy away and we're just waiting for him to chase us. And then when he doesn't chase us or come banging on our door, we think, okay, what's wrong with him? No, <laughs> I'm, sitting here, I'm sitting here laughing because literally that's, <laughs> that's what my therapist told me years ago. And he, she's like, look at all of your relationships. Like, haven't you always broken it off? Haven't you always pushed the guy away? I'm like, <laughs> I have, like, I have a major me myself. I have a major issue and self-sabotaging things for one, because I, it's like, it, it's too good to be true. I don't believe I don't have trust. I have trust issues, right. Or abandonment issues. Or number two, I have this fear of, well, do I really deserve this? Like, is this really real? You know what I mean? So it's like, it comes from a self-esteem issue. Absolutely. And I think many times we don't know what we don't know, right? So working with, you know, thousands of women's over the years, but even my own story, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So we operate and we, we garden, I say, we garden with the tools that are in our shed. <laughs> and right. until we get more tools, until we understand who we are and that we are worthy and we have to kind of unshed and understand, I think, you know, I think this is a key. Everything makes sense in the context of our story, right? So when people know Niku's story, when people know Dr. Janie's story, everything makes sense to decisions we make, to the people we marry, to the places we live, it all makes sense. But we have to make sense of that first. Because, you know, what I find, especially in my Women Redeem program, many of the women will come to the program because they've either had had a history of toxic relationship with romantic relationships or sometimes just with their parents. They'll find that they are carrying out a story. And many times they can they can be really smart. They're CEOs, they're sweet, sweet, they're, they're C-seats executives, they're entrepreneurs, but yet they can't understand why do I keep finding myself with the same person over and over again? And the theme is usually they're treating me less than I deserve, right? So what we tend to find when we get on a healing journey is that there's some reflection of how we really feel about ourselves. We essentially expect people to treat us better than we treat ourselves. Just think about our self-talk, right? Where 69% of our thoughts are negative. We look in the mirror and we think about, okay, my hair doesn't look good. This is <laughs> automatically beating ourselves down. But then our partners or our best friends or whoever enters our space, we're just waiting for the compliment. <laughs> we don't even compliment ourselves. So, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work. And I think it takes a, it's really brave to really peel back the layers and say, you know what? It's not about my parents. I'm not speaking bad about my parents or anything, but it's for me to understand the person who I'm looking in the mirror of. I don't know her. How can I expect someone else to know her? Right. It's the same thing. You know, Nikki, I'll find that when women will come 
And we have these conversations as far as romantic relations about lists. And in my group, people will read off their list. I always say, you know, make a list of who you want to be in a relationship with. But the key part of that is also make the list of who that person would be attracted to. Mm. And usually it's not the person who made the list. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so good. I'm writing that down. <laughs> that is so good. So let's, let's push pause there. And I'm, we're going to come back to tactical things, strategies that the audience can take with them and start implementing and feeling like the incredible expertise of your work. And then obviously like I did, they're going to reach out to you. and want to work with you. Let's go back a step. How did Dr. Janie get to where she is today? Because we know when we look at successful men and women that are doing things and they're where we want to be, oftentimes we look at that and we're like, oh my gosh, she's so lucky. Oh my gosh. Her life is so put together. Oh my gosh. She's so successful. I mean, you have all these accolades. You've been featured in media, you've gotten all these awards, right? And a lot of people look at you and say, man, she's doing what I want to be doing. But what they don't realize is that stemmed from a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a major part of your life that you had to learn to fail forward through and get past to find your personal testimony, to step into your power. So let's peel back the layers of the onion and and let's go deep. Let's go to the root. Let's go to the beginning. Well, there's a lot I could say there, but I'll start with this story. You know, yesterday someone was asking me about um, giving them some tips on how to become a speaker, right? So one of the things that when I look back, my dad was not only an alcoholic, but he also sold drugs out of the house that we lived in. And as a little girl, you don't know that, but I remember as a teenager, I discovered little baggies and little white powder and, you know, um, uh, measuring things in our attic, right? So I became aware at some point. But in those early days, my mom, I would believe, was also in a place of probably what most women would be if they're in a relationship with an addict, probably depressed, preoccupied with my dad. So what I what what I don't remember, but I know is that she would leave a bottle in my mouth and, you know, just leave the, the bottle in the baby's mouth and you're sucking on this milk all day or all night just to kind of shush the baby. So when my adult teeth came in, I had rotten teeth, Miku. And as a first grader, you know, kindergartner, I would uh, I would talk like this with my mouth. Um, for those that are listening, I would just cover my mouth when I was talking and I wouldn't talk. You know, I was just really introverted. So then when I did start speaking in second grade, I had to go to speech therapy. <laughs> you know, just I just couldn't. My dad didn't speak good English. So, you know, I was in this place of just you know, I say I got a a bad start to life in that sense. So then you have this girl who has low self-esteem. You're growing up in this environment that children are seen and not heard. And then at 10 years old, this devastation happened to our family, which, you know, is the catalyst, part of the catalyst of what I do now. But, you know, I just remember, you know, my 19-year-old sister who had children at a very young age and her was in a toxic relationship. And we didn't know that she was in this toxic relationship. She had a restraining order and she was leaving the partner of two of her children and it resulted in the, in her murder. So he had strangled her in front of um, my nieces and my nephews at that time. So, you know, when I look at that story, you know, we, we had so much stuff going on. And then two years later, I knock on my grandmother's door, who I was supposed to, she was anticipating me to come over and she was not answering her door. And I remember she had this dog, Susie, and I just remember the dog barking and barking and I can hear the television on. So to make a long story short, some people came and opened the door and, you know, as a 
12 year old, I open, they open the door and there's my grandmother laying flat on her face with blood coming from her nose. Right. So there's so many things that I can see that were, 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 were setting me up to be a woman of no voice of just having all of this stuff. But when I look back, you know, I connect the dots, you know, I didn't come from privilege, didn't come from money. You know, my father had a first grade education. He couldn't read. So I'm looking at all these things and, you know, I'm a big believer that the people we surround ourselves and I didn't know this, but the friends that I had in school, I got involved to avoid the pain at home. So I ran track, I did basketball, you know, I was a scorekeeper for the boys basketball team. So I did all these things. And a part of it was because the friends I was with, they had intact families and they were doing things. And then when it came to college, I couldn't afford college. So I got a scholarship. You know, so to, to make a long story short, because there's a lot of nuggets I can pull out there, is because of where I came from, I became a hustler. <laughs> is I just knew that I did not want to be my sister, and I did not want to be what I would see the women in my family being reliant on men in particular, mm-hmm. right? So I knew that in my head, I didn't know anything at this time. I'm like, I just knew I had to get education. I knew to be able to pay my own bills. And then I look back and I'm like, you know, God had put the, that seed in me from a very early age. I had this image. So I have my, one of my best friends, her name is Tamika. We've known each other since we were four years old. Uh, so we've known each other. I'm 44. So we've known each other for 40 years. So she would say, you know, you've always done everything that you said you were going to do. And she's someone that can testament to that. So I didn't know why I had these seeds, but I always knew that there was more to life than where we grew up. You know, literally where we grew up, there was just, it was divided, not even by race in New York, where we grew up, it was divided by your economical status. Mm -hmm. So I knew that there had to be more and that drive that was put into me. And, you know, there were always things that were barriers in my way, but I always felt myself saying, how do I get that? Versus I don't, can't get that or can't do that. So when I look at the person who I am today, I am just so thankful for, for God, right? Just, just being this guiding force for me, just, just me being a woman of faith. Even back to this time, when I look back at, you know, I was probably about 13 and I was um, walking on the street with my friend and this limousine pulled up to us. And we were in upstate New York and they were like, hey, have you ever been to the city, New York City? Do you want to come to the city and come inside and see the limousine? And we're looking and I was like, my friend and I were like, we were excited there was a limousine, but there was something that told us don't do it. And I just was afraid because I, I was not necessarily afraid of the, of the men in the car. I was afraid that my dad was going to kick my butt if <laughs> he found out. But when I look at those moments, right, at that time, I didn't know it at the time, but at that time, a lot of people were coming to, from New New York City to upstate New York and picking girls up from the street to bring them to a place called Hunts Point in the Bronx to to medicate them and make them prostitutes, right? So when I look at that, God had he had sheltered me from so many things that were trying to come after me, literally, so to speak, because he had a greater purpose for me. And I believe that greater purpose is the work that I do is not only, you know, doing my own healing work and just being an impactor in particular with women, you know, women, we suffer with depression, anxiety, you know, we try to have it all in the sense of our careers, being best lovers, having best mothers and all these other things. And we don't give ourselves a break and especially what I feel like is in the world of the insta (laughs) you can just scroll scroll and you can compare your life and think well she's doing this and she's doing that and then you feel what inadequate so I believe that you know my group my biggest mission is to help people enter their purpose and that's the process of entering God's plan for them because I feel like you know and I'm not done yet but in the process of looking at how I saw myself really determined how I was going to see 
my future, right? So being able to know that there was more for me, even when I didn't see it. And that's what we call faith in that sense. So, you know, when I look at not only my sister's murder, but I look at having rotten teeth and not speaking and then having these opportunities where my life could have really took a left turn, but God placed angels in my life, not only with friends, but mentors to let me know and to shine a light and give me a mirror of who I was, even when I didn't believe that I was those things. And I believe those people were pivotal people in my, in my life to um, contribute to, to who I am right now. And that gave me a lot of self-confidence that came from knowing the truth of my own story. I love that so much. And thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for like really pulling the blinds back and just saying like, this is me. This is what I've been through from a young age to the woman that I am today, because that's, that's so powerful in understanding the things that you've had to go through to step into your power, to be able to be that vulnerable. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and to say, thank you for that. There was something that really stood out to me as you're telling your story it is very faith-based. You had a higher, a higher power that was protecting you. You had your angels for sure. But there, I think there's also something that I've seen a lot when I was working in the, the business realm, right? Like I ran a sales and marketing company for a decade. So I was hiring a lot of people, many of them older than me, because I was in my young twenties at the time. And whenever someone would come to me and be like, I'm really struggling, I'm struggling with my financials I'm struggling with my marriage I'm struggling with everything. Right. I would always sit down and like, look at the person and I tried to put them into one of two categories. Are they running towards something and what's interfering with the success of achieving that? Or are they running away from something and how can I get them to stop being fearful, right? Because they're never going to be happy and content. No matter how far they get, they're still running away from something in the past. There's still this like anchor in the past that's dragging along with them, right? And as you're telling your story, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of got the sense that you were running away a little bit from the example that you saw with your parents, you're like, my father's not educated. I'm going to go get ed- educated. My father was into like drugs and stuff. So I'm not going to do drugs. My mother was dependent, right? Like I, I may be assuming these things, nope. but I'm just like, I'm trying to, I don't know. Do you feel that you were running away from a lot of things and trying to be the polar opposite of the example that you were raised around? hundred percent. You called it. So I was running away, running away because I didn't, I knew what I didn't want, but I didn't know what I wanted yet Mm. until I had my own tragedy in my life. Right. So I realized that, you know, after being married for well over a decade, I think we were together at 12 years at that point that I realized I had married my father. So Mm. my husband was struggling with some addictions and I had gotten pregnant with my son, who's now nine. I was 35 years old because, you know, we had gotten married young in our twenties. And I said to myself, well, I'm going to deal with this. I, I made this bed, so I'll deal with it. But I knew I didn't want to bring a child into this world. So, you know, when we, when we got pregnant, was not planning it. Uh, Rylan is an angel, but I realized that that was what I needed in order to realize that there was something greater for me to run towards. Because there was a time in that situation where there was just relapses and relapses. And my son was 10 months old when I decided to make a choice to leave my marriage because I saw that I was becoming what I thought I was running from. So it's amazing, right, when we are not yet healed, that we are sometimes in this place where we don't know what we don't want, but we don't know who we are yet. And then the very thing that happens, Niku, is we become the very thing that we don't want to become. Yeah. And I saw myself, God bless her, I saw myself in that moment becoming my mother, right? So here I am in this codependent relationship, you know, husband struggling with these types of things. And now I have this 10 month old child. But when I look at that moment of me re-entering my own recovery, my own 
therapy and I went against everything. I mean, I got, and this is why I understand women and they get to these places. I got so much toxic advice. Wait till your child is 18. You know, God hates marriage. I would get all these, uh, hates divorce. I would get all these toxic things thrown at me. And I was walking along. I was walking a very lonely journey. But I needed all of that. I needed my world to come crumbling down for me to say, you know what? There is something greater out there for you. Hang in there, right? So then I started changing that course from running from it something to something. <laughs> but it was from that greatest place of pain that that was even I was even able to discover who Janie is. And what are you running towards now? Right now, I'm running towards that every single person that I'm in, including you in this moment, is somehow better because I'm in their presence. I'm building a legacy. I'm breaking generational curses. I'm building a foundation for my son to be who God has put him to be. And the greatest thing that I've discovered in my own life, and, and this is more than success, was I've, I've experienced success in lots of different areas, is my peace of mind. Mm, when I was powerful. running away from family of origin, all the things I was not, I was a place of unrest. My mind was always anxious. I'm always preoccupied. And now I am just like in a place. And I say to, to my closest girlfriend, I'm like, peace is priceless. I can say, no, I don't want to do that. Or no, you know, tonight I'm just going to, I'm just going to binge and watch Netflix and I'm good with that. Or, you know, yeah, let's go and do this. Or, you know, whatever that may be, peace, I realize is priceless. Because if we do not have peace, we can't be present. We can't be conscious with the person that we're talking to. We can't, we can play the, the toys and stuff with our kids, but we're really not there. You know, we're thinking about stuff. And I didn't realize how much of that detriment that was for me until I've really got to some of the other side. And believe me, it's not hundred percent. So some days I'm like popcorn brain. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's I'm so running hard legacy and peace and impact and purpose. I love that so much. And as you're, you're mentioning that you're like, yeah, like so many of us, like we were doers and we're trying to achieve. Right. And, and let's talk about that for women that are really trying to be incredibly independent because of a fear of dependency or of not being in a position where they will not be taken advantage of abandoned, worthy, all these things for that woman, like, let's go back and talk to the 25 year old me, right? I'm now in my mid thirties. Let's go back and talk to the 25 year old version. Me started a business at 21, hit seven figures at 24 was franchising, opening up offices all over the country at 25. And that was validating who I was and making me feel like a badass and making me feel super successful. And then when I exited that business at 30, all of a sudden I felt like a failure, but I exited right? Because I created something successful that allowed me to be able to then go and do whatever I wanted. But going back to square one was very scary for me. It was frightening because I identified so much with my previous success that removing myself from that mm -hmm. was like, now who am I? Mm -hmm. And I'm now married or I was getting married at the time. And I was looking at my husband, like scared of the situation. Like, does this mean I'm now depending on you? And I started to go back and I started to go back and get educated again and get certified again and started doing all these things because I couldn't just be, I couldn't just have peace of mind that the universe did all these things for me. Let's just go with the flow. I was afraid of allowing myself not to have to be independent. And I know there's a lot of women out there that are literally self-sabotaging their relationships, self-sabotaging their health, self-sabotaging their, their themselves because of a fear of breaking free of 
severe independence. Let's talk about that. Absolutely. And you named it many times. And that is the embodiment of running away from something, running away from dependency, running away from, you know, being controlled, running away from the fear of losing ourself, all of these things. But then we miss the opportunity to run towards love, trust, protection, you know, team, partnership, all the things, many times what I'll hear, all the things that we'll say that we want, we can have it right in front of us, but because it doesn't come in the package that we recognize, we reject it, right? So many women can can have that story. Many of the women I work with have that story, Niku. They get the very thing that they want, the trusting, the security, the foundation, a partner that will have their back, but they feel the sense of loss of control. They have to feel the sense of vulnerability, all of these things. But, and then I would say to them, well, isn't that what you wanted? A man that you can be vulnerable with, a man that you can trust, you know, a place where you can just rest and, and be the mom and do these other things and they're holding it down. You got the very thing that you want, but yet you're sabotaging it because, well, you know what? I don't trust him 100% because I come from a line of women that either were betrayed or didn't trust men, or I heard this negative talk from my mom, right? So when we break down the messaging that we get about ourselves or even about our relationships, it creates this sabotaging pattern, right? So I think many times the other part of that is we also hear, don't lose yourself, right? So we are, and sometimes we already believe that. So when I think about women, especially today, I see sometimes hyper independence at our own detriment, because when you think about it from your from the sense of to your point, right? There are many women where they're working corporate, they're doing those other things, and when all that stuff goes away, they're like, "Who am I?" They get anxious, or you know what I like to say is it's the universe or God saying, "Okay, now you can deal with all the things that you were running from and putting it in a box." Because I do believe sometimes being super busy for women is a trauma response. We get real busy because we don't have to deal with stuff. And then by the time the night comes, you know, we check our boxes and we're out and then we're doing it all over again. Where when we have to sit in a place of hearing our thoughts and facing ourselves, we have to deal with some stuff. And usually that's where our greatest, you know, I say our greatest superwoman is born. It comes from that place of healing where we kind of world stops, so to speak. And many women, and I'm not saying... Um, it, you know, these dysfunctional relationships are women's fault, but many women will contribute more to the demise of their relationships than they will even take ownership for, right? You can only push people away for so far, so far, so far, but yet I still expect them to still have your back, right? When you're constantly beating, and I see this in my women regime is beating their husbands or boyfriends or partners down and then expect them to still cuddle at night. <laughs> right, right. It's like, have you, have you even considered for a second how you made him feel like you said, and the person that you want to cuddle you, how, 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 how did they, how should they be feeling in order to want to cuddle you? And did you help him feel that way to cuddle you? Right. It's like, it's a cycle. It's interesting because as you're saying all this, I mean, I know my husband's like one of my, my greatest supporters and everything that I do. And I know he's probably listening to this episode right now. So Kyle, I love you. I appreciate you. And thank you for almost a decade of helping me break out of hyper, <laughs> hyper independence. Because he met me right when I was 27 years old. And he's like, oh, this girl's like, she's a badass. She's making things happen, whatever. And after a year of dating, he's like, this is like too much. Like you're literally burning the candle at both ends. You're up at four or five in the morning doing all these things. And you're usually not getting home until 10, 11 PM. Like this is too much. Like let's get you into a position where 
you can have a little bit more balance in your life. You can take care of yourself. You can do some of the things that you love even more than being successful. Like that's not to say don't be successful, but do it in a lane that's more congruent with your passions. Right. So I was very blessed to meet him, but then I go back into this pattern of just wanting to be hyper independent and doing, 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 and running, running, running. And now that I have an almost two and a half year old son, there's like, there's two Nikus. There's a Niku on this side. That's like, you need to be successful. You have a mission. You have a purpose. You need to be doing. She's also still running away from some of her own issues. Right. And then there's this Niku here. That's like, but you wanted to be a wife and you wanted to be a mother and your son is growing every single day. He will never be smaller than today, this moment. He will be different tomorrow than he was right now. He will have different experiences and you're missing it because you're so busy doing. And even when you are here being, your mind is still somewhere else. You're split. And it's like, you're getting all the things that you wanted that you manifested, but are you truly stepping into that realm of joy and allowing yourself to be present. How can you help women like that? I'm asking this selfishly for me. How can I get out of my own way? You know, and I, I totally understand that not only personally, but it's a big issue for a lot of women. It's hard for women to step into that vulnerability, right? So I can even think about my son is getting ready to turn 10. But when I look back in his younger years, you know, his first, you know, when he was first born, right up until about three, is I was going through my own crisis. I mean, I was. I didn't know it at the time because I thought I had all the tools and I was doing all the thing. But, you know, I think what I was really afraid of was the very thing that I wanted, you know, yes, I wanted to be a parent someday. And I was 35, 36 when I had him. I had this life already. So then he came and my life completely changed. And I was really afraid that I was going to lose myself and I wasn't going to be able to do all the things I've always wanted to do. And I had to say no to a lot of things that before I had all this freedom. So for me, you know, when I look at the depression and the anxiety, he's a blessing and he was a blessing, but I felt like I was losing my freedom to be and that my life was going to be forever changed. So when women are in that position, right? So a lot of times we have to name our fear. And I know for me personally, at the time, I couldn't name it. I can probably like say all these things, but you know, sometimes it's a timing. So first we have to name our fear and two, we have to get around a support system. I am a big believer, and I don't think I have no mommy guilt about this, and I believe we should not have any mommy guilt about this if this is your call to purpose, but I had nannies, I had a babysitter, I have cameras in my house, so if I want to check on my little guy, I can see him. So I realized that when I was home for a period of time, that wasn't me. And I have a a younger sister who's three years younger than me. She has three girls, and she loves she cried, Niku, when it was time to go back to work. And I realized that that's not me. <laughs> I realized that my purpose and the things that I had were tied to that feeling of freedom. And I had to find language around that. And then I had to get into a place where I was accepted to say, you know what, Janie, you can still run your business. You can still do these things. But yes, it's going to change how you do those things, but you don't have to give it up. Right. So I remember the first speaking engagement I had when I had an offer for a first speaking engagement and my son was one after I was taking some time off. And I said to myself, I had never took him anywhere really at that time, just being super paranoid about germs and stuff. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. We strapped that baby in the car and drove to Tennessee. <laughs> and I spoke and did my speaking engagement and he was outside in the little thing being entertained. And I realized, you know what? That gave me courage to say, you know what? It's not and or, it's both, 
right? I can do, I can be the person I want to be, but I can also be Rylan's mom. And, you know, and I look fast forward to, um, yeah, a month ago, almost two months ago, when I get did my TEDx talk, he's sitting in the audience with his dad, watching his mom deliver, you know, her, her TEDx talk. So when I look at all the things, I go back to that beginning, that in that space, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't feel like anyone understood what I was feeling because I couldn't talk. I was talking to the wrong people. I was talking to my, like, for example, my sister who loved being an at-home mom, right? And I had to realize that not everyone can share that space with me because who we speak to and who we allow ourselves to vent to can also deter us, can make us feel guilty, can make us feel fearful. And sometimes, you know, for the ladies, especially, we can't even talk to our husbands, our spouses in that moment because they don't understand it and it's okay. And we have to be able to say it's okay that they don't get in our understand it. It really is. We don't have to beat them up for not understanding it. They're not us, right? So to be in that place, and I look back and I realize I had to first accept that what I wanted was unique in the sense of my support system. And two, I can still have it. And three, I can put the things all in place. And for me, that was nannies, babysitters, cameras in my house, bringing my son to work or bringing him to, you know, my speaking engagements. And I'm so glad I did not feel like I had to sacrifice what I wanted in order to be a mom. I'm a better mother because I'm happy. I'm happy because I'm doing all the things I want to do. Amen. And I have to mute myself when you're talking because I'm sitting here as you're talking. I'm like saying, yes, yes, cheerleading you on. I'm like, you tell them, girl, because that's literally speaking to my soul. And I, I know a lot of the women that are listening to us, a lot of the audience for Failing Forward are women that are highly successful and they're trying to figure out how to find this balance between their masculine and their feminine energy. And they're trying to break free of toxic relationships or codependency or a self-esteem issue, right? And as you're speaking there, you know, I love Brene Brown and she always speaks on shame and she speaks on guilt. And I'm, I'm constantly like diving into that. Cause I know that's like a huge area for me that I need to work on and work through. And you literally, you were speaking directly to me as you said all of that, because that's literally how I feel. I have a two and a half year old. And when I first had my son, I fell into, you know, very bad postpartum depression because there was this major sense of, I lost my life. I lost myself. And I was like, whoa, like I can't wake up at five in the morning and go work out and do my 6am yoga class anymore and get home at eight o'clock and shower peacefully. And maybe it's a 20 minute shower, you know, like those things were no longer, there were things in the past because my son needed to be breastfed every 90 minutes. And I was lucky if I got a five minute shower in, like all the things that new moms go through. And I got really, really down on myself thinking, is my life over the way that I always envisioned it and wanted it to be. And I'll fast forward two and a half years later, I can take longer showers. Like as they grow, you, you gain some of that freedom back. Right. But for someone that got married in her early thirties and had her son after quote unquote success, Mm -hmm. it was a very difficult transition for me. It was very challenging. Um, but that's not to say that's not challenging for the women that weren't in that position too. Mm -hmm. What, you know, what you said that really resonated with me is the friends, the people around you that don't understand you and what really drives you. And then they're giving you advice. Like you should be at home. You should be cooking. You should be cleaning. You should be there for your husband more. You should be doing all the things for the baby. Like I didn't want to do all like, it's not to say like, I didn't want to be there for my son, but I wasn't in love with doing all the little things. So I did hire some help. I had a nanny, a nanny that was with us. 
three to four days a week for four to eight hours a day so that she can help me with the laundry, with, you know, all the little developmental things so that I can get some things done for myself. And some other women around me would look at me like, but why are you doing that? You don't need to do that. Like you don't need to work. You should be there. Like, this is what they would say. The word should, you should be there with him. You're going to regret it later. They placed that seed into my mind. There's members of my family that were like, you, you're not doing motherhood. Correct. When my son turned two, I made the difficult decision for me and for my culture and for my family to put him in school early. And there's a lot of members, I'm not going to name who they are in my family that were like, you should not do that. You should keep him at home with you up until kindergarten. Like you are responsible to be a good mother. And a good mother looks like is he is by your side until kindergarten when he has to go to school and you putting him there is selfish. It's not good for him. You're going to break the bond between you and him. And I like it, it, it placed a lot of shame and guilt in me that I've had to really work through these last six months. He's only been in school now for not even six months, but I can tell you now my son is better. He's more social. His extreme separation anxiety has subsided because I've allowed him to have space to know that it's okay when mommy is more than five feet away from you. He has flourished developmentally. He speaks full sentences at not even two and a half. Like people can't believe he's two and a half developmentally. He seems like a three plus year old. And it's because I put him in a situation where he can grow and thrive, step out of his comfort zone and learn to be his own person and not have to just be like my little, my little tag along. And it's allowed me to flourish because now, even though he's only in school three days a week, a few hours, I can take that time to going and doing the things that I wanted to do right? Which is making me a better mother because I'm happier. I'm living in my lane so I can show up better for him. And I think this is something that we really got to, we got to help mothers out that every mother's journey looks different. And for someone to put this like title and this label of you are now a mother. This is what motherhood looks like. You have to cook and you have to clean. I hate cooking. I hate cleaning. I'm not ashamed to say that I have cleaners come to our house and I happily pay them whatever they want. I'm going to work to make sure I can pay that because I don't enjoy to clean. Don't make me feel shameful and guiltful because I have someone else come and do the cleaning for me. Don't put that role on me just because I'm a woman. I'm a wife. Nope. Nope. Now what you said, and I want to pull this nugget out is that everyone's journey is different and you knew what was going to be good for you and your family, <laughs> yes. period. And, and I, my own personal <laughs> mental health. Yes, and which is huge, right? And I think the other part of that is that you're in a place where you were able to build all the infrastructures because you can. And I think that's important because we have this culture, especially from motherhood. And I think it's sometimes for certain, I know at least in our Puerto Rican culture, it was huge, is that you get this award from a mom's perspective if you contribute more to your self-suffering, right? You're, you contribute, you put yourself last. And I remember this, um, again, I love my mom, but you know, you have these little cues when you're a little girl, you don't know what they meant. But I remember one time we were at the dinner table, my mom would be cooking and we're at, we're at the dinner table with my dad and we're all those girls are eating. And I looked up at my mom and she was eating at the St. Niku. And I remember thinking to myself, here she is cooking and cleaning. And she eats last. And at the sink, I remember thinking to myself, I don't want that. But I didn't speak that, right, until a long time, until I was an adult, because I realized that in our culture, you suffering and slaving and putting yourself last, somehow you got the mom of the, the year award. 
when I wasn't healthy. It's not healthy. And I think that's what we need to hear as women, as mothers, is that we have to put that oxygen mask on ourselves. Because the truth is, and this is not to take away from anyone that believes certain types of attachment theory, your son is going to be actually better if he's in a place where people are loving him and that they're attuned to him than his own mother, who may not have been in a place of being completely in tune because she's preoccupied and she's not feeling good about herself. And a lot of times people don't realize that that is actually what's the, the, the environment and the responsiveness that we give to our children. Because moms, right, I can look at myself, I can respond to my child as a mechanical mother, but I wasn't there in a place of consciousness, of happiness, of him feeling that energy and that joy. So when we look at from a research perspective, your son, my son, I can, it's funny because sometimes I'll show him these birthday parties from four years old. And I'm like, do you remember this birthday party? He's like, no. I'm thinking, why did I spend all that money? <laughs> But, you know, the point is that their memory kicks in, you know, so they have this consciousness that happens that's building a download from one to eight. And it's not necessarily, you know, at a two-year-old to think, well, my mom was there to respond to me when I was crying. No, it was somebody responding to that baby when they're crying. And a lot of times we, and I'm saying all this for a reason, we make decisions that are not based in fact, that's not based in research, that's not based into healthy development of our children. We make, we make decisions based off, at least for me, from cultural norms that were unhealthy and dysfunctional. My mom was eating at the sink after she slaved cooking for us. She couldn't even like eat at the table with us because she was so tired and had so much to do. And I looked at that and I'm like, she was there in the home, but she wasn't there with us, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean a hundred percent. And it's funny because to the mothers that love that role of just being, being the mother, being the the caretaker, being the homekeeper, amen to you, step in that, flourish in that, love on that. But there are many women that when they step into that and they try to like force the square peg into the round hole, that's what's making them feel less than. That's what's making them feel depressed. That's what's making them feel not fully joyous. And for those women, it's like, find what brings you your joy. Find what brings you your confidence back. If that means that you need a babysitter to come two hours so that you can go and work out on your own without having to lug the baby with you or the toddler with you. So that you have that peace of mind of, I can go and grab a coffee on the way there and I can grab a smoothie on the way back. And when I come back, I'm going to feel energetic. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel confident. And I can then have a way better interaction with my child. Do the thing that, you know, like internally, you know what you need, do it, like get out of our own way. Right. And we need to stop labeling ourselves as this is what perfect mother looks like. This is what perfect wife looks like. This is what perfect businesswoman looks like. You can have it all. And I know when I was dealing with my postpartum depression, I'm lucky that I had clarity on this. It was better for my son while I was breastfeeding him and crying all over him that I had a nanny outside the door to be like, Hey, can you come and grab him for a second? I need a moment because if I just stood there in that feeling, babies and our children feel our energy. They do. So when you're having a bad day, if you notice how your children are more close to you or kind of clingy to you, it's because they feel that something's off with you and they're worried. They're concerned. When you're sad, you feel their energy come down to like this. They want to take care of you. They want to, to nurture you. And it's very important for us to make sure that we're protecting our energy because like you said, they're 
they're getting those downloads, right? From one to eight years old, it's building their subconscious mind. It's building their self-esteem. It's building that foundation of who they are so that when they go into their twenties or thirties, their forties, and they have their own relationships and families, these feelings have been developed based on the interactions they had at those early young ages. So I say all that to say that if you're a woman that's suffering and feeling depression, anxiety, anything like that, give yourself the gift of self-healing and give yourself the gift of the things that are going to make you feel your best you from the inside out, because that's going to make you the best mother, wife, business person, whatever it is that you're doing. 100%, 100%. So let's dive in. We talked about the the independent woman, right? The hyper-independent woman. You, You talked to me. I appreciate that. But I know there's a lot of people that are listening and they might be dealing with some codependency. Can we, number one, define codependence, codependency, and number two, give some action steps on things that we can do to work through that and past it? So to give a definition of codependency, very, very simple, is when people have a need to be needed. <laughs> so what that means is that sometimes we can find our purpose in our service to others. And many times that can come from many times, not all the time, it comes from undealt with childhood wounds. You know, I know for myself, I call myself a recovering codependent. And I look at how that was developed in my own story, which some people may relate to is that growing up, when my dad would come home, it would change the atmosphere in the home. So you become as a little girl, so super sensitive to the moods of your parents, that that dictates how you show up in the world. And that becomes your download in life. So then you start becoming so hypersensitive to the temperature of the room or what people need, but you're the one that's cold, but you're the one giving out the sweater, right? So when we get to that place, many times, and especially in, for me in the Christian community, sometimes that can um, be considered a good thing, right? Because it's service, it's selflessness, all these other things. But what I find with women in particular is that that gives, that puts them in situations where it's to their detriment and they will either attract very narcissistic partners or addict partners. You know, what I say is uh, I had to become a vampire slayer to the addicts and to the narcs because that was who I was attracting, (laughs) right? When you're a giver, that's exactly what happens is it's not that you become in a place of, of healing. It just comes now you have boundaries, right? So one way that women could kind of detect themselves is how do you feel when you say no, right? Many times if we say no, you know what? I really appreciate that invite, but I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm not available tonight. Or another clue that you can potentially be in the codependency spectrum is if you justify your nose. Well, you know what? I have my son tonight. I don't have a babysitter. I really can't go. And then you give them a whole rundown of justifying your behavior and they didn't even ask you. <laughs> Right. So I think many times we have that comes from a place of just to kind of give some nuggets. We have to understand who we are. We have to be confident in who we are. And we know is a complete sentence. We can say no and we don't have to justify our behavior. We don't have to explain our behavior. We have to be comfortable with our own decisions. But when we get into that place of we put other people's needs before us, we're eventually going to be resentful. We're going to be angry. We're going to be confused. We'll say to ourselves, I lost myself. I don't even know who I am. And all of those things are not going to serve us as mothers, as wives, as friends, as productive entrepreneurs, if we're constantly putting ourselves. So if you can't say no to people, that's usually a clue that there may be some codependency there. (laughs) 
All right. So I didn't even know it, but I guess I have some codependency issues because it's not from a people pleasing standpoint, but I, I never want to make someone feel like they're, they're not significant. They're not enough. I don't see them. Like, I don't like to let people down. Right. So I wrote down what you said there. No is a complete sentence. Then I also put there, do not put other people's needs before my own. So I need to like, write. I'm going to, after this conversation, I mean, I feel like we're having a therapy session right now. I'm so, exci- <laughs> I'm so excited to go do my homework. I'm going to write down what are Nikki's needs. And then I'm going to make a list of like the five things that are non-negotiables that when I'm being given opportunities and, and all these things, if they do not allow me to meet my five needs, then the answer is a simple no no explanation needed because I I am a justifier. I'm like, no, I'm so sorry. This happened. My son wakes up at that time. It's like, just say no, just say no. Exactly. And I, and I practice this in my own life is I believe when we know our purpose, that's our North star and everything we say yes to should line up with that North star. And the things that we say no to are essentially just stuff that we're doing to please other people. But I also know, and I'll share this with you. So, you know, people can relate to this. I understand why I justified. And to your point, I didn't want people to feel left out or not feel seen, heard, or understood. And the reason being is because that's how I felt as a little girl. Right. So sometimes in our place of woundedness, we overcompensate in other areas. So I'm the one with my group of friends. If I see someone quiet, I'm going to include them in the conversation. I'm going to make sure they're inclusiveness because I was a middle child. I felt invisible and I didn't feel like I mattered. So I try to make everybody feel like they mattered. So the very thing that we struggle with, Niku, is sometimes the very thing that we still need to heal from. And I know that was the case for me. (laughs) That's so powerful. And yeah, you just you hit the nail on the head 100 percent when I felt like I didn't have a voice, when I felt like I wasn't being seen when I felt like I was the last person to be picked. I'll I'll never forget this moment. Sixth grade PE. I was um, not the prettiest girl in the school. I was not the most popular girl in the school. I was very, very shy, very, very timid back then. And in PE class, when we were doing this, this volleyball game, they lined everyone up. Here's half on this side, half on that side. Here's the two captains that go ahead and build your teams. And I was the last one chosen. And that moment has stuck with me up until today where I never want someone to feel like they were chosen last. Mm -hmm. I never want someone to feel like they weren't the first, the first person, the second person, they didn't make the starting lineup. I remember going for basketball tryouts in seventh grade and they were like, yeah, you're not good enough for the A team. You're on the B team. And I was like, it's like these little moments in our life that stick with us fast forward 20 years later, but it's developed this sense of pain and trauma in me that I'm now, I'm still holding it with me, but I'm recognizing it in other people, even when it's not true, it's not really there, right? Absolutely, that's what we do, it's called projection. So the very thing that what we feel, we project onto other people and we will treat them as if it's true because of the narrative that we create in our mind. And we all have done that. And sometimes we can all do it, which is why you know us having to this conversation, us practicing things that put us in a place of consciousness, put us in a place of mindfulness, because just because we have the knowledge doesn't make it's going to go away. It means that we have the knowledge so that we have the space. So when we are aware of it, we make different choices, right? We realize, you know what, Janie, that's really me. They didn't say that to you. So why are you treating as if it is true? It's really you, right? So we're able to have that self-talk and to create a space where we're not doing unnecessary things, what I call it, unnecessary things in my life, you know, doing other stuff because I want people to feel better versus, you know what, they didn't ask me, right? So sometimes we can put ourselves into spaces and places unsolicited because we think we know someone else's pain, but it's really our pain. 
Right. And that's something that I've been practicing recently. If they didn't ask, don't speak. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't try to be everyone's doctor, right? Sometimes you have to stand there and allow people to go on their path and their journey. And I had to learn this lesson the hard way a year ago with a relationship that I didn't mean to give suggestions where they weren't warranted, right? I had a client that had come to me for Pilates and in that Pilates session, I started to realize some issues they were having with other parts of their life. And I was like, well, I'd recommend you do this and this. And I never saw that client again after that moment. And it took me a while to sit back and look at it. Like they came to me to help them with their core and with their spine and all this. And I, I, I kind of, I went a little bit too far, like allow yourself to just, people will come to you for what they need. You respond to that and don't go into all these different places based on our projections, based on the things that we need. If they didn't need it, like, don't, don't do that. Right. Don't do that. Right. But they may not even know they need it, you know, from a therapeutic standpoint, when I'm training other therapists, you know, we use that term of meeting people where they are, because yeah. sometimes we can see like we're putting together the puzzle and we're like, we know how we can get you out of this, but they're not in a place where they can even hear it yet. Exactly. Right? So I think exactly. the same thing when it comes to friends or family or clients is that we can see things, but we can be violating people's boundaries by exactly. giving unsolicited advice. We've all been there and done that. So <laughs> lessons learned for sure. Don't give unsolicited advice. I know that our time together is coming to a close and I want to go ahead and just highlight some of the amazing things that you're doing that I know the audience has probably gained so much from this conversation. They're like, how do I reach out to her? How do I work with her? Like, she's amazing. Although she's not right here in Arizona with me, I will be working with Dr. Janie. She's out in Florida because of her expertise in some key areas that I've been working through for decades now. She has a practice called Life Counseling Solutions, where she's created a monthly eight-hour anger management workshop to help people, specifically court-ordered people, which believe it or not, Dr. Janie, that was me at 16 years old. I was one of those court-ordered people that had to go to anger management. So I love that you're doing this. But if you are someone that you are working through anger management or someone that you know, or you're in a toxic relationship, if there's an opportunity there to connect and hook up with someone, I would definitely recommend reaching out to Dr. Janie Lacey. I also would recommend connecting with her on her women redeemed um, group that she's been creating. Can you speak to that Dr. Janie Lacey for the audience that may want to work with you on that? How can we connect? Yep, absolutely. So the women redeem is my signature program that I've been running for 10 years. So we have a 12 week in-person session that I've expanded over the past couple of years. So we do a retreat weekend. Our next one's coming up in April and October, and then in Cancun in October. And we take everything that we do in the 12 weeks, as far as experiential, and we turn it into that weekend. And then we have a way to build a community. I do believe that we need to be around people that are like-minded and also lighthearted, but like-minded in the sense that they're growth mindsets. So we have our Women Redeem monthly membership. It's just $35. You know, we spend more in Starbucks on that. But, you know, we have a once a month masterclass with the workbook. The masterclass for this month is actually Trauma Bonds, and it comes with the workbook. And then we do a monthly book reading. This book uh, reading for this month is called Wired for Love. And then we come together at the end of the month to do a vision board workshop for this month and then a QA. So part of it is to get people in the right space that we're all, we're still doing maintenance work, but we all still come together from all 
all over the world. And, you know, we have someone from Norway in the group from all over the world where we just come together and we're building this community of healing because I'm a big believer um, that we can, uh, I, I like this meme, it's not mine, but this meme that I saw Niku that we could eat all the kale and all this other stuff, but it was still rotten and toxic inside. Does it really yes. matter? <laughs> a thousand percent. Um, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be signing up for women redeemed. So it's a 12 week course. It's 35 a month. So you're telling me it's monthly. Yep. So we have uh, several, so we have a 12 week in person and then okay. $35 one is a monthly program that we meet through zoom and we do all the, the master classes and stuff from worldwide. Yep. So, the 12 so, so someone like me, that's virtual, we have access to the zoom, right? So we sign up, it's 35 a month. In that, you're going to be getting a monthly masterclass. So downloads, action steps, education, right? Once the, mi the mind and the brain is expanded, it can never return back to its original state. So masterclass, highly valuable. Um, the book reading, I love book clubs. I love to read. I love your book collection behind you. For those of you that are watching this on YouTube, I mean, she's got a major, major collection there. Um, and then breaking that down. I love the vision board workshop too, like really tapping into the subconscious mind and reprogramming some of those those self-limiting beliefs, right. And kind of getting out of her own way. And then the Q and a having access to you to, to gain more information that's specific and customized to the people that you're working with in community with like-minded women that want to make that step forward in their lives, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, holistically. I think that's the, my favorite thing and what I love about you. And then do the people from that monthly membership, are we the ones that you're going to select for the retreat? So you like give us VIP access. Yes, everyone has access. But you know, I do want to say this, the, I, I partner with someone with a Women Redeem alumni, and she's actually co-leading the vision board workshop. So a lot of the women, they're just like you and I, they're entrepreneurs, they have um, massive success in their all space. But the one thing I like to see out of the group is when people start sharing their story, and they become out of hiding, they become so much more powerful. So you know, Dr. Kelly, she leads our, um, she's gonna be leading our vision board workshop, and she's gone through our retreat, and she's gone through the 12 week program. So I like when people step forward and they talk about, you know, when they've gotten out of, sometimes we can hide behind our success, but when they open the curtains and realize, you know what, Jane, Dr. Janie had same problems I had, you know, versus, you know, feeling like everyone to your point as the top of the hour, as we talked that you have it all together. Like I can't even relate to her. I relate to mess people that turned their message from a mess, their mess to a message. Right. So Amen. Uh, part of that is we use the people in our community to partner to, because they are walking testimonies. A thousand percent. I think that's why I I've connected with you so easily through clubhouse, through breakfast of champions, through being on your show as well. Voice America. Let's talk about it with Dr. Jane Lacey. You guys go check it out. It's on all the different podcasts platforms, um, Spotify, Apple, you name it. It's there. Go listen to that conversation. If you want to deep dive on depression, but if you want to reach out to Dr. Janie Lacey, join her women, women redeemed, go ahead and go to her link tree. Um, if you go to her website, www.janielacy.com, that's J A N I E L A C Y.com. You'll have all the links there on how to get in touch with her and how to get a part of her women redeemed. If you are living in Florida, I would highly recommend going and doing her 12 week in person. I mean, I may even go out there and, and figure out how to do it. I don't know. We'll see. I live in Arizona. We'll see, but for sure, I'm going to be doing the virtual for sure. I'm excited about Cancun. This girl needs to travel. It feeds my soul. But Dr. Janie, I am so grateful. I am so thankful that you made the time and you create the space to be here today and to pour into our failing forward audience. I appreciate you. My pleasure. 
have a great rest of your day, everyone. We'll see you again soon on another episode of Failing Forward. Take care.